and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. Right, so when I started this uh, podcast almost three years ago now, um, Reliving My Youth, we look back and, you know, just stuff that's influenced me over the years and hopefully influenced the listeners as well. And pretty much on top of the list was Debbie Gibson. Her music was super important to me back in the day. It still is now. I was able to meet her. We'll get into that story in a little while. But, and my goal is still to talk to her, and that's getting closer by the day. But we have a very special guest right now who is doing an amazing project about Debbie, uh, Jackie Clary, um, who I first heard on, we all know, my good friend John Lambrose Hustle podcast, and it was an amazing interview. And she's doing a po- project about Debbie and her fans who are officially known as Debheads. So Jackie joins me now. And Jackie, how are you doing today? I am great. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Um, so just talk a little bit about uh, first your project, which thankfully didn't get canceled, but postponed because of the coronavirus. So if you want to talk about that for a sec? Yeah, sure. No, I'm super excited. It's still happening. So every year, the Museum of Popular Culture in Seattle does a pop conference where they have folks from all over the country come. They're music industry folks and academics and fans, everybody together talking about there's always some kind of theme. Um, and this year's theme is youth and pop music. And they encourage people, all those different kinds of people to present papers, to submit papers, and then they decide which ones to accept, um, to have these panel discussions between all these different groups of people. And it's it's typically four days at the end of April. It's going to be at the end of September this year. But when they said back in the fall that the um, topic this year was going to be youth and pop music. Now, see, I've never been. Um, I live in San Diego, and so I've never – and the museum's up in Seattle. So I've never been. But I was like, you know what? This is my year because this is my topic. And I was like, you know, I've never presented at a conference. Um, I I love speaking in front of people, and I'm a very comfortable public speaker, but I've never actually done a conference. So I was like, you know, this is my sweet spot. So what can I do and what would my topic be? And I immediately thought, because when you think of youth and popular music, you think of young people and you think of fans. And I was like, holy cow, I got it. It's Debbie Gibson because Debbie Gibson began her career young and so many people became fans young. But I also know that throughout her life and career, she has an amazing fan base. And so I wrote this proposal and I was accepted. And the name of my presentation is Zappin' It To Ya, Debbie (laughs) Gibson and the Connection Between the Once Teen Queen and Her Fans. And so what I'm doing is I'm writing a paper that I will present It'll take me about 20 minutes to present it. I will be on a panel with a couple other folks, too, that are also going to be around the same topic of um, teens and music and fans. And uh, we um, so I will present this paper and um, get to discuss it and get to talk to people. But one of the coolest parts of the whole thing isn't as much the conference, which obviously is very cool. And I'm very excited to go to and meet lots of people. It's this lead up where. I'm writing this paper, and yes, it's about Debbie Gibson, but it's really about her fan community, and I I love fan communities. I've been in music for 20 years, and I have worked with fans and met with fans and dealt with fans, and I think fans are a particularly special group of people, and I also love artists who embrace their fans, and Debbie Gibson is um, one of the artists who does it 
the best and in the most genuine way. So I have this crazy goal of connecting with a thousand Debbie Gibson fans to incorporate into my research for this paper. And so thank you for having me on because I am one step closer toward uh, reaching that crazy goal. But I, I really want to show how this particular fan community is special. Yeah, it really is. And uh, I submitted my, uh, my answers to her question. So I advise all the dead pets to do that. Um, let's help Jackie out because this sounds like an amazing project and it's just, you know, another chance to promote, promote Debbie and just, you know, keep her back in the spotlight. She has a, uh, she's back on the billboard charts after almost 30 years now, which is fantastic with her song girls night out, which is, which is, you know, a great song, but we're going to relive some of her you know, best songs during, during this uh, show. And um, I first got involved with Debbie, I'm sure, like most of the listeners, and Jackie uh, back late 86 when Only My Dreams came out. It came out just as a single. The album wasn't even made yet out of the blue. And it, you know, skyrocketed, you know, up the charts. And they quickly had her write an album and, you know, produce an album, which I think took just under a month. And it was released in 87, and we all know how out of the blue it turned out. Yeah, so listening to you talk about all that and thinking about what was the first the first time I remember hearing Oli in my dreams, sixth grade on the boombox in my bedroom, which I'm sure a lot of people listening had a very similar experience. And I think um, that real that I don't know, there's something special about being on the floor of your room with all your cassette tapes out and hearing it and 
that special song or that special voice coming through and you're going, hey, who's that? That's new. That's that sounds like somebody I'd be friends with. And uh, I had that connection, as I'm sure a lot of people did, too. Right. And, yeah, I first heard it. And anyone who's familiar with New York on WPLJ in New York, which is no longer uh, playing uh, 80s and 90s music, unfortunately, uh, back in the late 80s, I still didn't have cable, so I didn't have MTV yet. Uh, I first saw the video on, as many people probably remember, Friday Night Videos. And with, exactly. It <laughs> <laughs> was, uh, you know, very important to all of, all of us. And um, as a almost 12-year-old boy, you know, I loved her music. And, you know, she was cute, so I was attracted to her also. And that was really, like, my first, you know, celebrity crush. Uh, I was able to meet her a couple of years later at the New York Music Awards. They held that every year when uh, artists who are from the state of New York would get nominated and they would do it at the Beacon Theater. And my mom got me tickets for me, her, and my friend Jenna, who I took. And it was, um, we got there super early because that's what we do. Uh, and um, we were hanging out by our seats, which were really good, you know, down near the orchestra. And all of a sudden, Debbie and her mother and I think her sisters walked in. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's her. I got it. You know, and I was like, just starstruck, you know, first time in my life. She goes over, you know, sits down and take her seat. So I waited a few minutes. I'm like, Jenna, let's go. I had my old, you know, Kodak camera from, from back in the day. And she was talking with a couple people. So I was very polite and waited. And all of a sudden she was done. I went up to her and, you know, did the usual, oh, I'm a big fan, this and that. I love your songs. You know, she was super gracious. Uh, only um, out of the blue was the only album that came out at that point. So she signed my program, which was great. I still have the, the autograph, and she took a picture with her. Unfortunately, this was, you know, before smartphones, so I wasn't able to look at the picture until after I got it developed. And it was a little bit of a shadow that, unfortunately, my friend Jenna took the picture and, you know, didn't realize it. So I still have the picture. I looked at it today, and I still have that memory, and it was it was a fantastic night. That is so cool that you have that and that that happened. Yeah, you know, it's fantastic. And I'm sure, you know, as more and more Deb heads get, you know, share, you know, uh, their stories with you, you'll have a lot more to uh, present at your conference. Yeah, what I think, too, is so great about that is it also shows how early on she was always so gracious. I mean, I hear story over stories over and over about how gracious she is, and that certainly illustrates that. Yeah, now, like, obviously the album blew up. It was that one, I believe hit number seven on the charts and it sold, you know, millions of copies. It's when Electric Youth came out that really, you know, took her to another level. The fans loved her. Why do you think, like, critics were a little on the fence with her? Well, I think she was at the beginning of the teen boom of the late 80s. And, you know, the teen pop cycles, it always does. Late 80s, this is, we had... Debbie Gibson and New Kids on the Block and Tiffany in the late 90s is when we had Britney and Christina and NSYNC and Backstreet. And then, you know, it, it cycles before and after this. And I think because it is always been gear, geared to a very specific audience, um, that critics are not usually in that audience. So if you've got folks like us who are 12 and 13 and 14 and that music really speaks to us, but the critics are 30 and 35 and 40 and the music's not speaking to them, they can write it off as ridiculous or bubbly or that kind of thing, but not, not really 
putting it into the context of, you know, this is really sophisticated music written by a 16-year-old, holy cow. Um, I should say some critics certainly did that, and history has, um, you know, obviously I'm referring to Foolish Beat. Wait, 16, she was 17 when Foolish Beat went one? Sorry, I have to look back on that, 16 or 17. But um, records like that, certainly critics can, whoa, wait a minute, what? Um, but I think that that's why is – you know, I've worked I've worked with a lot of people older than me throughout my career, and um, I have a very vivid memory of sitting in a um, studio once with Shake Your Love going and me being very excited and dancing around and um, one of the other uh, people in the company walking in and going, that's crap. <laughs> right. But the thing is, is, OK, everybody can have their opinion. That's fine. It didn't speak to them. And, you know, just because you don't like or understand something doesn't mean it's bad. And I feel like I've been telling people that my entire life. So I think that that's why in that time, yeah, critics would say what they did and kind of put her own in her own little box, which I don't necessarily think was great. But I do think that history and um and her longevity and her ability to morph career and also show how incredibly talented she's always been. History has been really good to her. And I'm glad for that. Yeah. I mean, like you, know, you mentioned Foolish Beat and like that album, I believe had six singles out of the 10 that were released and Foolish Beat was the fourth one. And that's the one that went to number one. She became the youngest artist to write, produce and record a number one track. I mean, stuff like that should get the critics attention. Yeah, it certainly got Guinness World 
record's intention. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. Now, um, my favorite song from Out of the Blue is not a single at all. It's Fallen Angel. And um, it's, you know, a deeper cut. Luckily, I saw her perform that years ago, but it's more of like 
a freestyle track by any artist from that time, not just, you know, a teen princess mm-hmm. like that. I don't know if, if you're familiar with that song at all. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sure. Um, yes. And I, I think you're right. And and sometimes deep cuts like that in particular can show um, somebody's talent. When it comes to Out of the Blue, I'm I'm pretty straight and narrow and my favorites out of the blue. Right. <laughs> so I, yeah, it's, um, it's a, there's something yeah. about there's something about the vocal of that song that I I have always really loved. She sings "Dream Come True," <laughs> but that I'm 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 I am pretty straight ahead pop chart fan um, when it comes to "Out of the Blue." Right, you know, it's it's a very it's a very happy song. You know, that always puts me in my happy place. That song as well. You know, the video is uh, is a cute one. Looking her looking through the uh, photo album and all the images coming alive. It's yeah, I yeah. love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
it, it's great. You know, I just obviously um, just, you know, that, that whole album in a whole is is great. But she really took it to another level with um, Electric Youth. Yes. And um, so here is where my I mean, I certainly remember hearing out of the blue on my boombox when I was, a, you know, in sixth, seventh grade. But um, my first real vivid kind of real um, important pivotal moment in my young life and music life, um, I attribute to. Um, OK, so Lost in Your Eyes. Uh, she played, she was actually a co-host of the American Music Awards in um, January of 1989. Right. And um, so the album was out that week, although I didn't have it yet. Um, and I, the song, I believe, had been released at that point. Sorry, as I'm sitting here looking at my, um, uh, uh, it just, yeah. So it was released January 21st, 89. And um, it, that was the week of the American Music Awards. But my first memory of that song, which is one of the most important songs of um, my childhood, and I think a lot of people in this community might feel the same way. I was watching the American Music Awards. I'm also, I'm a huge George Michael fan. So that was George's year as well. So I'm excited about that. And um, George, um, so yeah, I was excited about George. Debbie sits at the piano, does Lost in Your Eyes, and does her signature hop up on the piano thing. And I was riveted and recording it on my VHS. Mm. And right after that performance was the minute long version of George Michael's diet Coke commercial. The one mm. where the, the long version. So where they compare him to a matador <laughs> and <laughs> you have shots of George going into Madison square garden to perform and shots of a matador getting ready to go out to the arena. And I don't know if it ever aired the minute long version after that. And I certainly haven't been able to find it on YouTube. I have it on a VHS tape, which I need to convert. But I took that segment of Debbie singing Lost in Your Eyes and that commercial and wore that six minute segment of VHS out. Actually, the copy I have now I got after that because I wore out my original. So there was something about like that six minutes of pop music, pop culture that changed my life. It's, you know, it seems like such a huge statement to say, but I, I don't know, between hearing somebody roughly my age singing in that way and then seeing George, which, you know, is like the best ever. Um, that, that is the moment that solidified me as a Debbie Gibson fan.
I mean, those memories are are fantastic. That you know we have, you know, forever. I remember the first time I saw her in concert was at Nasa Coliseum, which is basically her backyard, and it was just like it was like two hours of just oh my god, I'm like in you know in in heaven, and just her. And back then she only had the one album. So she yeah, and our hometown shows the best. I love hometown shows. Oh, yeah, exactly. And it's, I saw Billy Joel on Long Island once, and there was just something so cool about that. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> my my all-time favorite concert is still Billy Joel. The first time I saw him, he played at Jones Beach. Now, if anyone knows, Jones Beach uh, Amphitheater is right on the water. It's a fantastic place. It was a three-hour benefit for the fishermen. And which oh, he's cool. involved in, and it was... 1990, so it was right when I think Stormfront was out, and it was uh, it was fantastic. And I've seen him a couple, you know, probably most of any artist, and it's from a couple of weeks ago at you know when he does his residency at Madison Square Garden, which is also fantastic. But um, yeah, with, with with Debbie, I, I was fortunate enough to see her at different variations of her career. You know, when she was on top, we, we saw her at National Coliseum, and she played the theater at, you know, Madison Square Garden and the Beacon Theater. And then a few years later, when it got a little scaled down at Westbury Music Fair, which is a fantastic little venue that is not a bad seat in the house there. And the stage is in the round where it kind of rotates, which I saw her, I think was anything is possible tour. And then years later, when she actually did a tour with Tiffany, which we'll get into, you know, Tiffany in a little bit, but it was just seeing, you know, like you mentioned, just being there or just watching a video or a performance you wear out. It's just, you know, great memories that you'll never, you know, lose forever. Yeah. Well, there's something that just imprints it in your heart and you just, and it, it, it does, it kind of guides it guides you. And yeah, so that, that was, that was certainly a moment for me. And then that album um, toward the end of eighth grade and leading into ninth grade, um, I'm very excited to talk about electric youth, but you can go ahead and start that if you'd like. Oh, I mean, <laughs> that, I mean, that song, it's, I mean, it basically spawned a uh, fragrance, which, you know, <laughs> which by I, the way, I did not own because I am not a perfume person. Right. So, <laughs> but I think it's very cool. Yeah. And obviously that wasn't geared towards me, but I did have it at just kind of like collectible. I, unfortunately, I don't have it anymore, nor did I ever use it, but I did have it. <laughs> That's cool. I think it's awesome that you had it. Yeah. You know, um, the song Electric Youth in particular um, meant a lot to me. Um, I like a lot of girls my age, danced. So, you know, of course, I sat there and learned all the choreography, which, uh, which is super, some of it I can still do, which I really enjoy. But um, I was also, and it'd be interesting if anybody uh, who listens to this had this experience too. I was very involved with a group called Peace Child, which was an international organization that promoted intercultural understanding through the arts. And it was international, but there was a, uh, a lot of chapters here in the United States and um, so I would tour around the world and around the country with this singing group. And we were all kids around this age. So this message of, um, you know, youth can change the world, like was huge with me at the moment because I was singing these songs about peace with the Soviet Union. And I was meeting all these different cool people. And I so that fed in to that, like I was so empowered about 
going out and changing the world. And just real quick, I want to bring up um, the We Could Be Together video. She's right. wearing this tie-dye um, peace sign shirt. And I someday, and I hope I get to talk to her as part of this project, I want to ask how that shirt came into her life because I had a similar shirt, mine was pink and purple, that came into my life through Peace Child because a bunch of the Peace Child kids in Rochester and Syracuse and um, Buffalo had those shirts when I met them at a conference. And one of them, I actually think it was a Peace Child friend of mine in Ithaca, bought one for me and sent it to me um, in Orange County, California. So I live in San Diego now, but I grew up in Orange County. So I remember seeing her wear that shirt and I was like, wait. And what's funny is I actually hadn't remembered that and watched the video in a while. And um, a year or so ago, I was poking around and probably like a lot of other people, 80s videos are my pick me up. So, you know, I'll start poking around and playing 80s videos if I need to feel better. Doing a lot of that right now, by the way. So uh, the waiting for a star to fall boy meets girl video, perfect <laughs> pick me up for these times, let me tell you. But Seeing that shirt, and I always felt this kind of connection to Debbie through. I'm like, dude, she's wearing the same shirt that I have. So I don't, that's part of that whole empowerment thing, which is a, another huge reason that Electric Youth has meant so much to me.
so funny you say that because like you have a you know moment with her it's like i have that shirt too and it's just it's it's great that you know everyone kind of has that you know moment with, with an artist you know indirectly you, you know you may not meet her you may not talk to her but the fact that you kind of share that moment it's, it's it's really great it sure is plus that we could be together video with all of them at the beach I loved that. And I grew up very close to the beach. So there was so much that I could relate to. And other thing, too, about her clothes, I think that um, and sorry, this is probably something a girl might relate to a little bit more easier than a male fan. But she dressed like me. And, you know, and I think and or I should say I dressed like her, you know, with the kids and the cons and the you know, jean shorts and, um, and I loved, you know, the skirts that her sister would make for her and that kind of thing. And there's something very connecting and wonderful about watching a video of somebody wearing clothes that you wear. So, uh, there's something that's also in particular why that t-shirt thing meant a lot to me. And what was, she was like promoting a product. Was it Caboodles? Was that, was that it? (gasps) Caboodles! Yes. No, you know, what's funny is, um, one of my earliest memories of Twitter, so right. we're, we're fast forwarding a few years, is um, I was sitting at a cafe waiting to go to work and um, flipping through my Twitter feed. And when I early when I got onto Twitter in the early 2010s and she must have had right around that time a, a deal when Caboodles came back out. So Caboodles right. were huge in the 80s and 90s and then they came back out. Now you can buy them at Target. And, um, and of course I get really excited about it, but my 16 year old who's totally into makeup is looking at the caboodles like, yeah, I'm good mom. Thanks. But, um, (laughs) I was like, ooh, caboodles. Uh, but one of my first memories of Twitter is, um, watching her tweet and promote caboodles on Twitter. And, um, she was one of my, she still is one of my favorite things about Twitter, but also watching her connect with fans on Twitter. I'm sorry. I'll back to the late 80s here in a minute but you mentioned caboodles it's funny i i don't actually don't think of i mean in my own life i think of my dance caboodle that i had but um forwarding to the 2010s uh what a smart marketing thing on the part of caboodles and on the part of debbie gibson using twitter for it and connecting in that way i thought it was super cool yay caboodles yeah <laughs> and i think i remember the song which i'm not going to sing so i'll, I'll spare everybody <laughs> <laughs> this popped into my head. I remember that commercial. It was, it, was, it was pretty, pretty funny. But you mentioned like you know Twitter, and you know she's pretty active on, on Twitter, and um, she was doing like kind of like a question and answer thing. And I asked because the first time I saw her, I don't know if anyone really remembers this artist. It was Kevin Page. He had a song like "Don't Shut Me Out." I think that hit the charts for a little bit.
he opened for her. So no idea what happened to him. So I asked her, like, have you ever heard, you know, about, you know, Kevin Page, what's going on? And she's like, oh, my God, I never thought about him. Let me let me check. So I when she said that, I'm like, all right, let me check to a little research. And we found that him and his wife run a church, I think, in Tennessee. And so I just forwarded her the info, and she was, like, so great. She's like, oh, thank you so much for letting me know what he's doing right now. I had to get in touch with him. So it's the power of social media is, you know, it's great. And I think that outweighs the negatives because there's sure a ton of negatives on social media. But I think the positives like that, you know, I think outweigh them. Yeah, I definitely agree. Well, you know, it's like when television was first discovered, right? It was the whole, like, it can be used for good and it can be right. used for evil. Let's use it for good. Same thing with Twitter. Right. Uh, totally. So one thing that it's amazing that, I mean, I found, I, I knew, obviously, but I don't, people and I know, she was never nominated for a Grammy, you know, and which I find it a little hard to believe. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. So this was... She would have been nominated for the 1998 Best New Artist if she was nominated. So, 88, right? 88. 88, yeah. yeah. So who do you think won that award? T- top of your head. Okay, so that's not the Millie Vanilli year, right? No, that was... That's the year two, after that. Uh, That was two years later. Oh, two years later. Okay, yeah. so... All right, so it's not that. Because you know who should have won it the Millie Vanilli year was the Indigo Girls. I'm a huge Indigo Girls fan, and I've always just been a right. little irked by the fact that <laughs> that the Indigo Girls in particular got robbed. Okay, Best New Artist in 88, who won it? And it was not Debbie Gibson. So let's see, who else was new that year? It's going to be somebody random like, okay, so I know she toured with Tapau. Why are they the first band that came <laughs> to mind? It's probably not them. No. Um, uh, okay. New artist in 88. Okay. We're Mike and the mechanics, even though they were a super group, they were certainly not new artists, but didn't they get nominated? Great, great guess. No, but they, they would have, if they were nominated, it would have been, I think 86. They had, had an album. Maybe. Oh, it was earlier yeah. than that. Yeah. No, I always found it funny. Like obviously none of those musicians were new, but they were considered a new band. Um, I don't know. I feel like I should know this, but can you give me a hint? Because I sure. still want to play. Give me a hint. Yeah. Okay. It's um, someone you know. It's a female artist who is part of a band. Part of a band. Okay. Because until you were going to say part of the band, I was going to say Taylor Dane. But you uh, said part of a band. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then she ventured out. She was a solo artist. So you definitely know a bunch of her songs. Okay. So solo artist used to be part of a band. Um but was nominated for Best New Artist because she was solo and no longer part of a band. I'm right there. Exactly. Okay. Belinda Carlisle. Great guess, no. (laughs) All right, who was it? (laughs) Jody Wally. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I was on the right track. Yeah. Now, okay, I have no problem because she was fantastic too, but the other nominees, I'll, I'll give you a couple hints. Okay. A band named after a movie. Uh, the other one had a couple big hits. Uh, another one, couple great songs, kind of went crazy and changed his name. And one, the last band, fantastic video and very interesting name. Okay. Um. 
I don't know. Give me one to start with. Okay, Breakfast Club. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, actually, it was a, the Breakfast Club. Okay, there's the name after the the band. Okay. Okay. All right. And so, um, like, give me one more of the of the hints. Just give me a hint to work on for a second here. Okay, sure. So the next one had uh, two big songs. One hit number one. Um, the artist is still still performing with, with the band. He's more or less just the band by himself now. Uh, they released, uh, you probably, I mean, fans probably wouldn't know, they released uh, an album a couple of years ago. It's actually really good. Uh, British man. The next one, uh, he's, he's an American and he compared his album to the Beatles. And the next one has a female lead singer and I believe she's French. A female lead singer who's French. So I totally feel like I am losing all my cred here, but, um, (laughs) like I should, you're going to say all of them. You can name the artists and I'll name the songs. Go ahead. Tell us who they are. Okay. So we mentioned breakfast club. So they had a song right on track. Uh, cutting cutting crew. Oh, okay. It's so funny. Like with cutting crew, I always think that they're earlier than, than that. But yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Wow, they were nominated for best new artist. Yeah. <laughs> okay, exactly. cool. Uh, Terrence Trent Darby. Oh, there's there's the different name. Okay, yes. And uh, Swing Out Sister. <gasps> Breakout. <laughs> um. Oh, the headlines that that would have been about them breaking out and okay, cool. Wow, yeah. that's a very interesting group of people. That's cool. Yeah. So I mean, I. I love all those artists. I have no problem with them, but I think, you know, I think Debbie could have been nominated that year. Yeah. And she probably should have been nominated that year because yeah. So the year after that would have been, would the year after that have been Rick Astley? It was and uh, Tracy Chapman ended up winning that year. Oh, she won that year. Okay. That's cool. I love Tracy Chapman. So, yeah. all right, cool. Yeah. Well, Grammys are their own beast. I just, uh, you know, you never know. But I certainly I enjoy the show and and that's very yeah. cool. All right, well we'll, we'll play one more because I think she should have been nominated for this one. This was the 1990 Best Female Pop Artist. This was coming off Electric Youth, so okay. I think. Right, so um, the winner, an older artist, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She's fantastic. She kind of had a comeback album the year before. Okay, sorry, this is 1990 Best Female Pop Artist? Best Female Pop Artist, yep. Okay. And the winner, so that hint that you just gave me is in regards to the winner, right? Yes. Well, we'll get to the uh, other Okay. Was it Aretha Franklin? Uh, No. Okay. Sure. Because I'm thinking... I've had who's Zoom and who going through my head ever since we've all been on Zoom conference calls the last few <laughs> days, which is earlier than that. And I knew that, but I didn't know if there was something right. I was missing in the late 80s. Okay. Oh, it had to have been Tina Turner was simply the best. No, that was a couple of years before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Um, classic female artist, 1990. The Hall of Fame inductee. Were they already? No, well, the Hall of Fame had only been around four years at that point. So, 
were they already inducted by 1990 or they were inducted after 1990? Let me see. <laughs> Can I turn your question on you? <laughs> Actually, is she, you know what? I don't wait. Is she in the Hall of Fame? I thought she was. Oh, oh, so you oh. gave me a bad hint. I gave you a bad hint. I gave so, me a bad hint. That's a bad job by me. Well, regardless, <laughs> she should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, this is a travesty. I'm, I'm going to put her in the Hall of Fame right now because she sh- okay. should be. Okay, so she's won before this one, or maybe including this one, she's won 10 Grammys. She okay. ended up winning for two so years later. Is- Okay, wait. So we're okay again. I just need to write down. We're doing pop, <laughs> pop female, right? Female from nineteen ninety. Okay, for nineteen ninety. Got it. It's Mariah Carey. That Am was right? year. That was the following year. Ah. Okay, so this is in nineteen ninety four because you know so the Grammys are weird, right? So. Right. So it's for it's, not it, for the ninety award. It's four. Okay, so these are the nineteen eighty nine Grammys. That were um, see we need Help. to be on the right Grammy Award show before <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because for the 1990 Grammys it had to have been Mariah Carey right oh you right. just said you knew it was okay so okay so for this is for achievement in 1989 yes okay and I'm wrong with Tina Turner okay um, for achievement in 1989 yes um, a classic artist okay that means that if it's achievement in nine in 89 it's going to be the Grammy year would have been September 88 or October 88 through September 89. That's the Grammy year is October 88 through September 89. Well, that's not Paula Abdul quite yet. No. no. Well, she it's, was, it's pocket. Was, um, it's pocket um, for Paula Abdul, but it's not Paula Abdul. Um no. Uh, she was nominated that year. Oh, she was nominated that yeah. year. Okay. So, um, okay, I'm still trying to figure out who the winner is, right? Of, yep. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Give me a song. I'll give you the artist. How about that? <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> she had. Um, she won two years later for the song "Something to Talk About." Oh, this. That was yeah. Bonnie Raitt's year. That's yeah. right. That was, and yes, she she is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And yeah, actually, yeah. she was inducted one of the years that I worked there. I worked oh, on her collection. Oh, oh great. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, I, okay. Oh, now, that's I, super cool. Yeah. I'm going to ask you about the Hall of Fame in one second. Okay. I have a bone to pick about that. But, okay, so the other – you mentioned Paul Abdul. So there's three other artists. They're all extremely well-known. One – Actually, they've all been actresses too. So, the first one was with a had a backing band, and she kind of went off on her own for this one. You can say she kind of came out of the dark. <laughs> was that Gloria Estefan? Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Okay, okay, yeah, I like playing this way. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Okay. The, the the next one was in a uh, Seinfeld episode. She had okay. a strange I, oh, Milan to mince. Okay, so I'm not a huge Seinfeld person. Okay, I'll, but, I'll give you Um She was in a movie that pretty much makes everyone cry. Oh, it's Bette Midler. 
Very good. Oh, because this was um, this was the beaches year, so it was yep. been beneath my wings this year. Yep, yep. And the next one, this one was kind of a surprise, and I thought maybe Debbie could have gotten here. I mean, she's a legendary artist uh, somewhere out there, perhaps. Oh, oh. <laughs> You're really good at that, by the way, about just putting them in there, because that's Linda Ronstadt you're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, See, that's uh, fun. Yes. Yeah, pretty, you know, powerhouse five. And you know, maybe it would have been kind of hard for Debbie, but I think because she had number one song, number one album at the same time, I think that was the first time a female artist did that. Uh, yeah. Well, what I think is really interesting about that group of women that we just talked about is there, those are very classic women who had been in the industry, you know, 10 plus years at that point, you're talking Linda Rodstadt and Bette Midler and Bonnie Raitt, certainly. I mean that, and that's Grammy voters in particular at that time, that's what they did. I mean, they honored those kinds of artists. So yeah, it's certainly disappointing um, that Debbie Gibson wasn't included um, in a more contemporary sense with those artists, but I get why. Yeah. Now, okay, you mentioned you did some work with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. I worked at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame okay. for three years. Okay. Yeah, so, so I was right. I was a curator there um, uh, around 2000, uh, and uh, actually I did the first uh, – I was a curator, um, the main curator on the first exhibit on Teen Idols. Oh, so wow. uh, as part of that, um, I did have a Debbie Gibson collection and was um, really excited about that. So uh, um, I didn't uh, meet her during that time, although um, I met her with her mom. Okay. And uh, and it was great. I actually spent a day out on Long Island with her mom going through old road cases, picking out um, items to exhibit. Oh, and wow. so and one of my most favorite pieces that we put on exhibit, um, she used during the um, Out of the Blue tour. And she brought back out for the mixtape tour because she posted a picture of herself. And it was that black sequin sparkly um, jacket with the big D on it. Right, right. I loved that piece. And that was one of my favorite pieces in her collection that we had on exhibit. And it was super fun to see her wear it again. I love that. With white Keds or sparkly Keds, she was wearing Keds. And that just, you know, made my 14-year-old heart happy, too. Right. Yeah, I saw her on, on that tour. And um, the problem like with those tours, I, you know, it's like she'll play, obviously, four songs, you know, her hits. And then, you know, that's it. You, I don't know. I would like to see a full tour with her again. Hopefully that'll happen. Cause, you know, with, with these 80s, you know, revival tours, you see these artists play maybe one or two songs and then that's it. I'd like to see a full tour. I mean, obviously, there has to be demand for it. And that's probably the key right now. Right. And yeah, and I like the um I like these mixtape type tours too. And I think it's yeah, it's hard for deep fans who, you know, want to hear deep cuts and you know, and music across the catalog, not just the hits. But um but I think there is it's like going to a high school reunion and I know a lot of people um kind of felt that way about that particular tour too. And there's something really comforting and nostalgic and warm and you know, friendly, I, kind of to that. It's a very, uh, it's a different kind of music, but I am looking forward to this summer, the Motley Crue Poison, like that oh, show. Yeah. Same kind of reason. I'm like, Ooh, that's going to be high school again. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, 
I, I, I ran with both. I, see, I ran with both crowds in high school, right. the Debbie Gibson crowd and the Motley Crue crowd. So and, you know, and everywhere in between. I had a lot of really wonderful, different kinds of friends. And I've always listened to a lot of different kinds of music. And actually, it's true. I, I was talking to a Debbie Gibson fan. I had a, I've had some really awesome fun phone conversations with Debbie Gibson fans across the country. And I was talking to one who's a huge Motley Crue fan. And it was super cool to hear him tell stories about being both a huge Debbie Gibson fan and like following the crew. No, it's, it's, it's great. Cause you don't want to just kind of pigeonhole yourself and listen to like one type of music. And I, I, I personally like, you know, even back then I was into Debbie. I was into like all the eighties new wave and, you know, modern rock as well as like, R&B stuff, so it was, you needed, like, a big, you know, like, musical, like, group, and, like, I, I'm super excited, I got tickets for Pet Shop Boys New Order. <gasps> me too, me too, me too. Yeah, I can't wait in September, so hopefully everything is back to normal by then. <laughs> yeah, where where are you going to see them? The Garden. Ah, cool, I am going to the Hollywood Bowl. Oh, nice, uh, that's great. And I was kind of bummed, because uh, as we're recording this the night before, I was supposed to see Howard Jones. Like twenty minutes and a half. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, with all this awfulness that's going on, luckily yeah. the the two big shows on my docket um, are much later in the year. Well, three with the Motley Crue show. Um, I haven't actually gotten tickets to that yet. I was just going to wait and get tickets to that closer. But the two right. shows I actually have tickets to. Um, or the Pet Shop Boy show, and I am so so excited. My husband for Christmas got me tickets to Harry Styles. Oh, nice! <laughs> I am so thrilled. I I love him. I and I love that record. That record, his new record, Fine Line, is fantastic, and I'm super excited to see Harry Styles. Oh, that's great! Yeah, for my birthday, my mom got me. Uh, we're gonna go see the Doobie Brothers. Who, oh, cool! Who you, Michael McDonald. And then later in the summer, the Alanis Morissette tour. With oh, Garth. very cool. So, so that should be fun. So it's hopefully everything is back to normal by then. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sure. Hope so. Yeah. So you mentioned Electric Youth. Uh, I love that song as well. But another one of my favorites is a little bit deeper track, too. She's played in concerts you know, throughout the years is Over the Wall.
Oh, that's a good song. Yeah. It's a great record. I like that. I know, you know, it's funny, like, my favorites off the record are the Lost in Your Eyes, Electric Youth, We Could Be Together. I know a lot of fans really feel deeply for No More Rhyme. No, and I certainly yeah. pull that one out on occasion as well. Yeah, I mean, the whole whole album is great. I mean, it's like, it was a short time since you wrote Out of the Blue, and you can kind of see the maturity a little bit, you know, in, in the writing of that album. Oh, very true. Yeah, but then, um, I guess the 90s hit, and like, obviously music styles, you know, change, and she tried to adapt to it. And I, I wasn't sure that, you know, most of the Deb Heads, I shouldn't say that, let me rephrase, that the, the Fringe fans went with it. I think the Deb Heads were, were faithful and kind of went with anything as possible, but I don't think that the, the Fringe fans went to that album or appreciated it. Well, the thing I think is interesting about Debbie Gibson's fan community and about Debbie Gibson's fans is you've got the group of young adult uh, teenagers and preteens who loved her for those two albums. And then music changed, you know, between um, we could be together, barely hitting the charts and dropping off. I think it was on the charts for like five weeks and it hit like 71. It was something like that. Um, Between that half, actually I say that, but I have my book actually open right here. I could actually give it to you if I wanted to. You were right. Um, it's because, yeah, the book's right here. Uh, we Could Be Together. And September 23rd, 89 is when it debuted. It was on the chart for six weeks, and it um, peaked at 71. And so between that and Anything Is Possible coming out about a year later, and, well, Anything Is Possible as a single debuted on the charts November 17th, 1990. Let 
that was kind of the last gasp of 80s pop because always kind of it goes that when Nirvana knocked Michael Jackson off the top of the charts, that's really when 90s music began. Um, and that happened, you know, 91, 92. So, um, Debbie got kind of caught in that, you know, that turn right there. And she was also getting older, but also her, the fans that were learning about new music, because, you know, in your teenage years, you know, we were just talking about, you know, we like different artists and we like, you know, 80s new wave and we like Molly Crew. And, you know, at that moment in time, I have to tell you, my huge favorite artist in 1991, well, always George Michael for me, but Mm. beyond that, was Nelson. I was a huge okay. Nelson fan at that time. And I still, um, and, and then even though with Nelson, I was big into their, that album and the one they had after that. And then I dropped off from that too. So, you know, it's interesting. You talk about, um, you know, the fringe fans versus the core Deb heads. And I've had that experience certainly with George Michael is that they're the folks who really love faith. And then by the time Listen Without Prejudice came around, it's like, whoa, really? Okay. But still think so fondly about faith. I think those kids um, like me who were very huge into out of the blue and electric youth, but then had moved on to other music. It's fine, you know, but yeah, the, the Deb heads are those core people that kind of keep all the way and keep an artist going. But what I also love about Debbie Gibson's career, she went into the nineties and um, was performing on Broadway is she's really appealing to those theater kids too, which I think is so wonderful. And which is also why, like, so my favorite song off of anything is possible is sure. Okay. And, and one of the reasons I like that song so much is it to me, it has a very Broadway quality to it.
also the production of some of the songs on the album, I think what kind of filled that hole between her leaving the charts with Electric Youth and coming back with um, Anything is Possible is Wilson Phillips. Yes. They filled that hole like right there. And um, I, I had that tape and I enjoyed that. And, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, of that age feel very strongly about the song Hold On, although Release Me is my favorite. So um, so I think you're right. That's kind of where you separate the people who went to the mixtape tour because it was nostalgic and um, they're relieving, reliving their high school years. And then the, the Debhead community that was forming and stronger and continuing throughout. And what I love about Debbie Gibson and that Debhead community is there's room for everybody. Like I wasn't consistently a fan through the 90s and into the 2000s, but I have always very fondly felt very fondly toward Debbie Gibson. And in the last few years have been, and particularly with Twitter, like I'd mentioned earlier, I love so much that she's back in my life. And I feel it's like an old friend is now a current friend. And then there are dev heads like you and some of these fabulous people I've talked to where, yeah, she certainly never went away. I think it's, it's really great that there's room for everybody. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, no, she's still, you know, consistently put out music you know throughout you know the 90s and 2000s i know you know she was dealing with an illness for for you know, a little bit yeah. but yeah with anything possible i feel like mariah carey i think maybe took a little bit of the steam yeah 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 you're right i see that the long island you know artist again you know she you know, she was fantastic i had to you know i loved mariah carey for the first two albums and she you know not so much anymore but those first two albums were, were fantastic you know vision i played that tape so much so you know i basically got stuck in my uh stereo but um and then back to debbie a couple years later she tried you know a little more mature with body mind and soul and they had the you know kind of like controversial video for losing myself right but that album i feel even like deb pebs that can feel that really wasn't a strong album at all for her yeah i could see that to be quite honest i I mean, I, I didn't own that album at the time. So right. I, you know, I've certainly listened to it, um, in the last few years, but I get how that's an artist who, you know, she was constantly evolving. And what I like though is that was also obviously the time where she's starting to really, um, wasn't that like she did like 17 Broadway shows in 17 years or something crazy yeah. like that. And it was during that time. Yeah, no, she, she was definitely, uh, busy, you know, doing that as well. And, um, I just feel like with, like you mentioned, you know, Nirvana, Nirvana and all those other, it's kind of where alternative started, you know, that era, like 93 and then kind of more of like, you know, the, the rap kind of, you know, elevated as well. So that was kind of really the end of quote unquote Debbie on the charts was that, you know, that era. But yeah, I feel it, like, was the, it was yeah. the end of that era of 80s music. Yeah, so really. That kind of pop. I don't really want to totally call it 80s music, but like the late 80s style of pop. Right. Because, I mean, you had to look like, I know Duran Duran that year came back in a big way with um, Ordinary World and Come Undone. You know, that album was fantastic. But that, that sound was far different from what they were doing in the 80s. And all those 80s artists really didn't adjust you know, for quite some time. So it was just basically, like you mentioned, the end of 80s music at that point. Yeah, and it's interesting. So artists that, you know, 
adjust to the current sound and then ones though who kind of keep their sound and are able to do that. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about it here in a little bit, but it's one thing I love about girls night out is that it sounds like a record that could be made that, well, it was record made now, but it sounds like now, I guess is my point. It doesn't sound like another time period, but it also sounds like her. And I love that too. It also sounds a lot like Madonna, which I like too, but that's also a shout out to Tracy Young. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a, like, it sounds it, it you it's a companion piece and in a style that I really enjoy and so it makes me want to put on.
Yeah. And you, you mentioned a little bit about um, anything's possible with some of like the Broadway sounding, you know, songs like with Shore and stuff like that. But then she came back a couple of years later and really this was, she was off Atlantic at this point and she released Think With Your Heart, which I felt was mainly her getting into the comfort zone and, you know, didn't have the hardest, like my favorite song on that album. But that basically album was just released and I don't think anyone really heard of it which is a real shame because that was really the time of the female like singer songwriter and you know, Sarah McLaughlin was big, you know, Lisa Loeb was out. And then obviously a year later was Alanis Morissette, but I'm not comparing Debbie to Alanis different type of music, but they had that, you know, the powerful woman single songwriter at that, at that time. And I felt that album probably was just forgotten, you know, unjustly. I think it was. Well, and I think part of it is, and, right. But you're, you know, and, um, bringing up like Alanis Morissette um, in conjunction with that and, and those other artists you mentioned too, like Lisa Loeb. And that's when Debbie Gibson or any artist like her is fighting against their right. previous work. And, you know, you think of ch any child star, I don't like that term. I should probably use the term like youth performer is a better term, but, you know, or any artist that starts one way and um, tries not to pigeonhole themselves um, into a certain uh, type of music or a certain, you know, genre. So really, particularly in the 90s, I think it was really hard for an artist to kind of fight against um, being able to change. And that's certainly what she was doing on the pop charts. But that's why it's really great that she saw having, you know, careers in a lot of different places. You know, we talk about Broadway, it reminds me how of, you know, in the 2000s, um, you'd have all these American Idol winners and finalists. And, you know, I'd get into a conversation with somebody I worked with. And to him, it was only, you know, if they won and topped the charts, then they're successful. There's no other definition of success. And I completely disagree with that. And I think a lot of those American Idol contestants um, went on to fabulous Broadway careers. And holy cow, Constantine Maroulis and Rock of Ages still makes my heart ache or heartbreak and flutter and all that good stuff. I love him. So, um, but I think of how she really got that, you know, and I know that she's talked about pop um, or a Broadway career was always, you know, something in her dreams early as a kid, but, you know, being on the charts and also being on stage and, um, being able to manage both things, I think that that's really great and important. And she was doing it before all these American Idol kids were doing it. Yeah. And, you know, she had to, had to earn pretty much everything that she got. It, it wasn't like, um, and I'm not disparaging any of these, you know, talent show you know, competitions because artists work for that as well. But now with like the era of YouTube and stuff like that, where you gotta, you know, you can put your stuff up and, basically get heard that way without even needing a record contract. I mean, now it's record contracts are pretty much, you know, I won't say useless, but I mean, you don't, you don't need it to be successful now. No, there's, there's a different way to make it in the business. Lots of different ways yeah. than there were 30 years ago. Right. Absolutely. But just now that, you know, she's, you know, so relevant again, you know, releasing, you know, music that's hitting the charts is, you know, makes, you know, makes me happy, but, Mentioned earlier that there was another artist, you know, with her. There's always seemed like there's always two, you know, it always seems like the role of two when you have like teen artists, you know, 
you know, Christina and Brittany, and then, you know, the Backstreet Boys and, and Sync, you had Debbie and you had Tiffany. And everyone thought that there was a rivalry between them, that they hated each other. And that was the furthest thing from the case. Uh, you hear interviews with them, you know, it's like, no, you know, they even toured together. They were in a very cheesy sci-fi movie together. Um, it's, you know, they still toured and it's, it's just so funny how the media and everyone basically, you know, wanted them to hate each other, to create drama. Yeah. And that's always, you know, it's always been kind of a trope in the, the media, but, um, that is something that I love about Debbie Gibson's current Twitter feed and Instagram is, um, she's always propping up other people, you know, uh, international women's day was just a few days ago. And who did she highlight on international women's day? Tiffany. And I'm like, that is so great. And just, uh, how important it is these days well, always has been, but to support people and to support each other. And yeah, I've, I've, I've always seen that there's been a really great friendship there. Right. And like, I didn't have to choose, you know, I, I enjoyed both their music when I was younger. It wasn't like, Oh, you got to pick one or the other. I was, I was obviously a deaf head, but I, I appreciated Tiffany's music as well. And, you know, I, I still do, but I don't know if you, if you saw that ridiculous uh, Mega Python versus Gatorade movie. I was super you know, excited. I have I have not seen it, but I'm going to need to find it. Yeah, it's it's what you would expect. It's completely cheesy. It's they have like a cat fight, which is kind of funny that you know after all these years of people thinking they hate each other, they have a cat fight during a movie, which is, is actually pretty funny. And Debbie released a song called Snake Charmer. That was, right. It's, it's it's a fun you know silly little song. But it's, um, yeah, and she's, you know, done a couple other, you know, sci-fi movies, a lot of Hallmark Channel. Yeah, uh, well, I I love the song You're Forever Girl from one of the Hallmark Channel movies. Yeah. That, I dig that song. I love it. Take a bow, cause I love this story. 
yeah, yeah so it's it's great that she's I mean, she always wanted to be an actress, but expanding the whole feel of um, her, you know, herself basically with you know the Hallmark Channel movies, Broadway. Now she's one of the judges on Nickelodeon, you know, Family Talent Show, which is which is really good. So it's you know another way to keep her in the spotlight. Well, yeah, and also another way that um, it shows how she has always supported young talent. I know with you know her Gibson Girl. Um, uh, foundation where she would support young performers. And now it's just another way that she's supporting young talent too, which I love to, an ability to be able to see that. It's super cool. Yeah. So uh, as we wrap up here, cause I don't want to take too much more of your time. You've, you've been very generous with, with your time today. Um, how can people, if they want to contribute to your, uh, your paper, how can Dev have get in touch with you? Ah, thank you. Thank you. So um, Twitter is a great way, either just, posting on my page or um, sending me a direct message. I'm at Jackie Clary, J-A-C-K-I-E-C-L-A-R-Y. Um, also, I have a website, so www.jackieclary.com, and I have a contact page on there. Um, and also my Gmail is on there, too. So um, those are all good, easy ways um, to find me. And mostly I have – certainly I have questions, and I always appreciate long emails, short emails, one sentence. I had somebody send me a Twitter DM yesterday that was, Debbie is the real deal, 18 exclamation points. And you know what? That counts. That's awesome. I love that. So um, any any remembrance, any reflection, um, anybody got a great story they want to share, um, why somebody loves Debbie Gibson. And I want, even if you were just owned out of the blue and that was it, or you are a rock solid deb head for the last 30 years. Um, I would love to hear from you. Jackie, thanks for your time today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And a special thanks to Jackie for joining me today. All you deb heads, go to JackieClary.com so you can submit your all your questions to Jackie. She's also on Twitter at Jackie Clary. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at the person all one nine. Be sure to like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the best episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes, not a problem. Shows on SoundCloud is also on Podbean. And go to livingmyyouth.threadless.com for all your merchandise. A new episode comes out every Wednesday, sometimes Thursday. Stay safe, everybody, and sane. We'll see you next week.